This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We're just days away from the 100th anniversary of the battle at Vimy Ridge. We'll talk about what it was and why it was such an important event in Canadian history with the president of the Vimy Ridge Foundation. And the Ontario government is taking steps to protect your savings from unscrupulous advisors. It's the result of a CARP initiative, and we'll talk to Wanda Morris in a moment. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Would you do everything possible to recover from a heart attack? A new study finds that two-thirds of patients either never start or don't complete the rehab programs prescribed by their doctors. In addition to impeding recovery, that is costing the province millions. The research from the Toronto Rehabilitation Institute says those patients that followed their rehab assignments saved $3,000 each compared to those who didn't. And those who didn't cost the system in emergency room visits, trips to the doctor, and medication, some of which could have been prevented by rehab. It can sometimes be hard to separate scammers from organizations that deserve your support. Now, Public Safety Canada and Home Instead Senior Care have partnered on a website that gives you tips and a list of popular scams. You can check it out at protectseniorsonline.com. She's been working at an Indiana McDonald's for 44 years, and she doesn't plan on quitting anytime soon. 94-year-old Lorraine Moore has been getting up at the crack of dawn for the past four decades to serve customers, and she says she eats there every day, too. She's now down to two shifts a week, but even though the cold winters have her thinking twice about getting out of bed for work, Moore has no plans on retiring. She says her customers are her life. That's the sound of 93-year-old World War II vet Jack Prince tickling the ivories. He's been taking 45-minute lessons every two weeks and playing every day for at least an hour trying to perfect his craft. He tells ABC News in Milwaukee that he thinks playing every day is important. I think it's very useful for somebody my age to have something that you have to work at. And I do work. His teacher says Jack is one of her hardest working students. Prince says he's now practicing for a recital to celebrate his 94th birthday. A white South African anti-apartheid leader who fought alongside Nelson Mandela has died. Ahmed Katrada spent 26 years in prison for opposing South Africa's white minority government, 
between 1962 and 1989. When Mandela was elected president, Katrata was chosen for the first all-race parliament for the African National Congress. He died in a Johannesburg hospital after being admitted with blood clots. Ahmed Katrata was 87. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It happens all too often. Investors put their trust in unscrupulous financial advisors who do not have their best interests at heart. Life savings are lost through investments that are inappropriate or worse. And even though the perpetrators could be fined, there was no way to enforce those sanctions. Enter CARP and its campaign for change which the Ontario government has just announced. Wanda Morris, VP of Advocacy for CARP, joins us to talk about what this means. Livia, I'm so excited about the minister's announcement. One of the things CARP's been campaigning on is the fact that there's no consequences for rule breakers. Uh, So many times people can uh, recommend unsuitable investments or unsuitable leverage or churn through someone's account, and then they walk away scot-free. It's not that they don't get fined, but what happens is that the regulators who are meant to collect the fines haven't had the teeth to do so. So this critical announcement is that legislation is coming that will put uh, teeth into the enforcers so that uh, those fines can now be collected. What's the backlog of uncollected fines? We are talking big dollars. There's uh, two primary organizations, the Mutual Fund Dealers Association and another one called IROC, which uh, regulates stocks and other uh, investments. And between the two of them, they have approximately $50 million outstanding in Ontario, stretching back over 10 years. So collecting those fines will will be uh, really important. And I think, Cinda, a really important uh, deterrent to the bad apples in the investment industry, that they now are going to suffer consequences uh, if they do act, and that should protect our members and other investors. Give me an idea of how much money people have lost this way and what happens. I'm sure you hear from your members. You know, I have had so many heartbreaking stories from members, and sometimes it's, you know, 10,000, sometimes it's 10 or 100 times that. And, you know, people have told me about how they've become socially isolated and withdrawn, lost peace of mind, considered suicide because of what's happened to them. And, uh, you know, clearly that's not acceptable, and we need to make some changes. Aren't these criminal offenses in some way? You know, certainly if there's fraud involved, then we have a criminal offense if someone's outright taking money from someone else's account. But a lot of what happens is, for example, unsuitable investments. You know, recommending to an 82-year-old that she take out a bank loan and invest in a highly speculative real estate development. It's not fraudulent. It's certainly negligent, and the consequences are virtually the same as if fraud was involved. This is just one measure that the government is committed to taking action on, but there are other things that CARP is pushing for and that are on the horizon, and one of the big issues are the titles that investment salespeople have and how that can impact Absolutely. A critical issue. There's a myriad of titles out there in the industry. People call themselves things like a a wealth manager or senior specialist, uh, retirement specialist. Most of these titles 
have no credentials behind them. There's no experience. There's no code of ethics. Unlike, for example, if you're a doctor or an engineer or a CPA, you have to have a certain amount of education and experience and continue your education and sign a code of ethics. And the vast majority of our members don't understand that the people providing them with financial advice and recommending financial products are not regulated. So we have two problems. We have this misleading titles and then this trust that's being bestowed that really there's no basis for it. Uh, So one of the announcements that came out was that there would be regulation of titles, and and we strongly support that here at CARP. I think as soon as you know that you're dealing with a salesperson, you can arm yourself. You're going to be more skeptical about their claims. You're going to ask tougher questions. So regulating and being aware of when someone is uh, selling your products and when they're simply giving you advice uh, is an important step. Can you give me some examples about how a misleading title led to a lot of grief? I was talking last week to somebody who lost a million dollars, and they had an advisor that they were really not happy with. They went to the dealer, they complained about what was going on, and they were given someone else, a a vice president. And so they thought, okay, you know, things haven't been going so well, but thank goodness, I now have a vice president looking after my affairs. I'm going to be fine. And their investment continued to lose money until they lost a million dollars. And of course, uh, Libby, you're sophisticated enough to know that the title vice president uh, doesn't mean anything. So, so that's hey, you and I are both <laughs> vice presidents. <laughs> <laughs> so there, so we know. But certainly in the financial world, it's a title that doesn't bear any relation to education, credentials, experience, or adherence to a code of ethics. And what titles should people look for? Well, individuals should look not so much for the title as for the credential. So if someone is a certified financial planner, that's the gold standard. But what CARP is also calling for is regulation of about titles. And most importantly, so that if somebody is working with an individual who's a commissioned salesperson or his primary job is to sell, that they are aware of that and then thus armed with a skepticism to look after themselves. So what's the bottom line on, on this? Well, bottom line, really excited to see this change today. It's an important first step. It's only a first step. We're going to be continuing to hold the government's feet to the fire. We've got to put investors first. Libby, we are in a climate where we're living longer, where interest rates are historically low. We have very high investment costs here in Canada. We're not done with this file yet, but it's a, we're going to take a moment and uh, celebrate this victory. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. That was Wanda Morris with New Laws to Protect Investors. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review, when we return the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. It was one of the defining moments in Canadian history, the World War I battle at Vimy Ridge. On April 9th, we'll commemorate the 100th anniversary of this. But why is it so important and how did it help make us into a nation? Christopher Sweeney from the Vimy Ridge Foundation joins me now. Christopher Sweeney, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So we're coming up on the 100th anniversary of Vimy. This is kind of a much-anticipated anniversary. Yeah, I've been working on this project for about 15 years, so it's hard to believe that it's actually arrived. So on April 9th will be the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge, a battle which is widely recognized as a, uh, a founding moment in Canada's history. 
And uh, we're really ex- excited about it. We're having um, upwards of 35,000 Canadians will be there. Uh, who knows how many French will be uh, in attendance. And we have, um, in terms of VIPs, the president of France will be there. It will be one of the last events he's attending. The princes, we have the trifecta of the princes. We've got Prince Charles, Prince William, and Prince Harry all turning up. And uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, Governor General Johnson. And so it's going to be a great event. And uh, and we're going to share it with 25,000 Canadians uh, on site and uh, 10,000 in the area. And also it's going to be on... Uh, on all the major channels all day long on Sunday. Sounds very exciting. Now, why was the Battle of Vimy Ridge so important in our history? Well, you know, at the Vimy Foundation, we're the first to recognize that the Battle of Vimy Ridge did not change uh, the course of the war. Uh, It was a minor battle, a minor component of a much larger battle, which was the Battle of Arras, which was primarily a British battle. And Vimy Ridge was a, a, a component of it, which was handled by the Canadians. So the, the Battle of Arras was a disaster, like most battles of the First World War, with the British suffering incredible casualties for little gain. Uh, Vimy, however, uh, was a success, and it was a rare success on the Western Front. And uh, the Canadians were assigned a – it was a difficult chore – uh, many thought it was an impossible chore. There's a, a ridge, the highest ridge on the Western Front, best defended ridge on the Western Front. And it, in the preceding 24 months of the war, this ridge had cost the British and the French 150,000 dead. 150,000 wow. dead for this ridge. And the Germans were still entrenched. So the Canadians came along. They, you know, they did things differently. They uh, planned it for six months. There was a lot of innovation that was brought into the battle. Why it was important for Canada, it was the first time that Canadian troops, 100,000 strong, fought together as one unit. Up until this time, Canadian troops had been used to fill basically plug-in holes in the British lines. And by this time, the Canadian politicians, Canadian generals were fed up with this. And they said, we want to fight as a unit. We want to fight together. And so the four armies, four, four divisions were brought together, forming the Canadian Corps. And on April 9th, the battle was launched. Um, There was a massive barrage before. Uh, If you can imagine, it was five kilometers of guns wheel-to-wheel firing. It was, up until that moment, the largest explosion in the history of the world. So after the first day, most of our goal was accomplished. After three days, all of it was accomplished, and a victory was secured. But it really, you know, this was great for Canada. The news reverberated around the world. Uh, that this ridge had been taken. But what was really special about the battle, more than its military accomplishment, is that it gave a sense of nationalism to Canadians. And we were, I, I argue, it was the first time that Canadians were universally proud of ourselves. And so after the war, General Curry, Canada's legendary general from the First World War, suggested that the major monument be built elsewhere, perhaps at Hill 70, perhaps on the Somme. But the Canadian public said, no, Vimy is our spot. Vimy is where we established ourselves. So as early as, you know, 1917, Canadians started talking about something special about Vimy. In the early 20s, when we were as a people gathering saying, okay, how do we commemorate our first World War effort? It was the voices for Vimy were overwhelming. And so the Canadian politicians, the Canadian generals acquiesced and said, okay, the Canadian people have spoken. They've spoken loudly. Vimy is where we established ourselves. And this is where we will build our monument. And the monument is absolutely spectacular. It's, uh, it's something which all Canadians have to visit. Okay. 
Christopher Sweeney, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. That was Christopher Sweeney on the 100th anniversary of Vimy Ridge. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, we celebrate the birth of one of the most notable soul singers of the 20th century. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook, tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. Celebrated soprano Audra McDonald launches her North American concert tour in New Orleans this weekend. The tour ultimately takes her to London in her West End debut. McDonald will reprise her Tony Award-winning role as Billie Holiday in Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Community murals that once marked the bloody history of sectarian violence in Belfast are being replaced with street art that celebrates peace. More than 100 pieces are on display created by artists from Britain, Ireland, and Europe. Anastasia has begun previews at the Broadhurst Theater in New York with Richmond Hill native Ramin Karamlu as the bad guy and Mary Beth Peel as the empress. Anastasia opens April 24th. And in Florence, Italy, the unfinished Da Vinci masterpiece, Adoration of the Magi, has emerged from a six-year restoration, cleaner, brighter, and is on display at the Uffizi Gallery until September. I'm Bob Comsick with the International Arts Datebook. This weekend marks the anniversary of the birth of one of the greatest soul voices of the 20th century, Marvin Gaye. Sadly, it also marks the anniversary of his death in 1984. Marvin Gaye was born on April 2, 1939, in Washington, D.C. He would go on to become one of Motown Records' most successful artists. His 1960s hits include songs like How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Can I Get a Witness, and I Heard It Through the Grapevine. The 1970s saw Marvin Gaye mature as a singer and songwriter. In 1971, he released What's Going On, a now iconic album. Along with the eponymous single, it also featured Mercy, Mercy Me, God is Love, and Inner City Blues. Gaye continued to write and record music all through the 70s and into the 80s, including his 1982 hit, Sexual Healing. However, his life was tragically cut short on the eve of his birthday, April 1, 1984. He was with his mother and father when an argument broke out between the two, and Marvin stepped in to stop it. His father pulled a gun and shot Marvin twice, once in the heart and once in the shoulder. Today we'll remember Marvin Gaye with one of his early Motown hits. Here is How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. That was Marvin Gaye with How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.